All right. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the 99%, a triathlon podcast with Jesse Vonercheck. That's me. And Elliot Bassett. That's me. And Marilyn Chicota. Yo, what's up? And that's it. Um, today, we are going to talk about testing and not like testing like I used to do when I was a math teacher, like testing for sport. So I'm going to lead off with Elliot and ask him if he has ever done any sort of testing with any of his athletes in the history of coaching. Oh boy. I mean, I think by most people's definition, no. All right. (laughs) That's pretty. Well, that was good. We'll just leave it at that. All right. Good Good talk champ. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, by most people's definition, no, by some definitions, essentially testing multiple times a week for years on end. Um, But in terms of like the straight 20 minute power test, which is, you know, a lot, I literally just started with a new athlete yesterday and he said, okay, I'm assuming you're going to have a 20 minute power test in this next week. And I said, why would I do that? And he said, well, doesn't everybody do that? And I said, I guess I'm not everybody. Um, So from that perspective, no, I've never done a 20 minute power test, but all my athletes, yep. Sorry. Um, So you, you kind of mentioned one kind of test there, I guess, just, just for uh, people who might not know, you want to run through maybe a few examples of, of tests that some people might use. Sure. I mean, I think the 20 minute power test on the bike is the most common trend. Somebody trying to then extrapolate that to get their, their threshold for about an hour. Um, the, a swim test like USA triathlon, when they're trying to get, um, ITU athletes, they have a certain, like they have test sets where they're doing a certain send off on hundreds. Um, and then there's often the 500 time trial, thousand time trial, 200 time trial, 100 time trial running. We it's usually just racing. There's not too many run tests, but Some people do the aerobic where you run for like 30 minutes around a track or two miles around a track at an aerobic heart rate and you see what speed you're going. So that very much is a test um, that people do. So those are some of the main ones right off the top. Cool. And you said you, um, you don't do, I guess what might be considered standard testing like that, but you do do some other types of testing. Yes. I, well, in a normal circumstance where people are racing on a regular basis, I don't do too many tests, but I, I may have a set. I don't personally repeat workouts all too often. Um, some people would say I almost never repeat workouts. That's not totally true, but I might have a certain time trial where people are trying to hit a certain effort over the time trial. And so it's not a test per se. Um, but at the end of the day, we're getting data on a similar situation, whether it's, you know, somebody might be doing a tempo run in a certain heart rate zone, or they're trying to hit a certain speed. And then I look at the corresponding heart rate, um, or somebody might be doing the same 20 K on the same stretch of road, but it's not, if you're going to do a test from my perspective, you're going to be rested and really ready to go. And I very rarely would have somebody rested, ready to go and then treat it like a race. So you do more like maybe workout indicators. Correct. Cool. Yes, that's a good way to put it. Um, what about you, Marilyn? Do you, uh, do you do, I guess let's stick to this kind of like pace testing, if you will, as opposed to like lab testing for now, do you do any testing or with your athletes? Yeah. So, 
similar kind of thing. It depends on the athlete. You know, I'm, I'm really big on watching test sets and data over time. And I actually do quite a few repeat sessions to watch to see, you know, how an athlete's developing over time. Um, I find that, you know, an actual test set that the 20 minute FTP test is, I mean, it's good for some athletes minds. They like that. Hey, I'm going out to do a test. However, it's not super applicable to the actual real world of training. So I always treat it as like, this is something we can do as another workout and we treat it just like another threshold workout. So I might say to an athlete, yeah, we'll go ahead and do this because in my mind it adds, maybe it adds value to them mentally or emotionally to the overall, but in my mind, from a coaching programming standpoint of view, it's another great threshold session. Doesn't You don't have to rest a whole ton for it. You don't have to recover a ton for it from it. And we get some feedback from it and the athlete feels mentally, emotionally really good about that. So I've, I've used that test a little bit. Um, however, it's, it's not super valuable, right? I mean, the, and, and to send an athlete out on the road for a 60 minute all out TT. Now that's, that's going to take some good rest into that. It's going to take real high motivation. It's going to take, you know, the same measurable course, depending on conditions, all of these things. And there's going to be a recovery period afterwards. So if you're going to go and do a 60 minute all out TT to get an FTP, you know, there's, that's got to be placed really wisely within the training and you got to weigh up what's the benefit that we're going to pull out of this that we can't extract from weekly and daily and monthly data just over the whole, especially, you know, all that stuff is so advanced now. So, you know, leaping forward away from the field test type stuff, I think, I mean, field test stuff comes in handy for elite athletes. If you're looking at like aerodynamics on the velodrome, those kinds of things, um, that's where it becomes, you know, more relevant, but, if I'm going to do regular testing with an athlete that really makes sense to apply to their training, it does need to be in a lab. I think it needs to be consistent and, um, and it needs to be in, in a lab with a good tester and you need to be testing for the right things for, for the athlete's sport. So I, I you know, we can elaborate on that as we go, but in, in sticking true to the field test type of stuff, I think those key workouts that you see over and over again, they might not be structured exactly the same, but from a coach's perspective, you're, you're training, you're looking for the same thing over time. That's where you're going to get most of your data for an athlete's progression. Can you just throw a couple examples out there of, of workouts you might repeat like that to use as like, say a, a test set, if you will. Yeah. So for like a half Ironman athlete, let's just use that example. We might do a 90 minute run with two by five K TT in it. Um, and just compare the, the, the second time trial to the first time trial. Do you um, mean two time trials within the same run? Mm-hmm. Yep. And so what, I, like a true time trial, like a true all out? Yeah. I mean, probably for a half Ironman athlete, you're going to say, let's go at about 95 to 97%. So not completely all out. And I want to see if they can hold that over the second, like what happens in that second TT, what happens in the first one, where's the drop-off point, if there is one, how are they with the pacing of it, um, you know, is there any kind of fueling issues, that kind of thing. I think that's been pretty useful for, for half Ironman athletes. Just to clarify again, and you mean 95, 97% of 5K effort? Yeah, a 5K effort, yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. You, yep. you, you win the podcast because you said a workout I've never heard of. And I feel like I've heard of every workout. 
That's I'm, <laughs> I'm excited. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and honestly, even for Ironman, I used to do that in my own training when I was coached by Scott Molina, we would do a 90 minute run and two by five K TT. And, um, and, and I found that to be useful. That's a test set that I would only use for quite advanced athletes. I don't use it often for, for, you know, that was, you were podium, you were podium and winning contending Ironmans when you did that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. for sure. So cool. those types of like top of the age group type athletes, uh, 40 by 100 long course meters on 10 seconds rest in the pool is a really good one. Obviously, if you can, can hold that, hold, uh, you know, your base, your base hundred pace across that set, you're going to be able to figure out pretty quickly what you're going to swim in an Ironman. I think that's a good one. Same thing with the, the 10 by 400 swim. Um, that's, a, that's a pretty standard one that I, I like to use for Ironman athletes. Um, Was that with Molina as well? I feel like I've seen those ones published. Those are more classic swim type tests. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and, and yeah. Molina would use the 40, 40 by one, uh, not so much the 10 by four. 10 by four is more of a classic swim type one. Yeah. Um, I ask a question on that. Have you, have you guys ever heard that called red mist? <laughs> I just swim uh, with these guys and they'd show up at the pool. They'd be like, Oh, we've got red mist again today. And I'd be like, why is this workout called red mist? And they just said, it's like, you like see through red by the time you're done. So it's like Ted 400, it's red mist. I don't the know. The term red mist, but not with that set. Okay. I can't remember the other set, but no, somebody I coach, um, not from Arizona, but from uh, Oregon, sh her, she had a group that had a, a red mist workout. And nice. I, and I was thinking, I don't know if you've seen the movie kick-ass, but red mist is the bad guy. Um, so anyways, he's full goal from super bad getting nice. on guys, <laughs> moving right. on, yeah. Good to know. Yeah. Good to, all right. but then again, that, and then some of the ones that you talked about too, that are, you know, you see the, you know, the Yasso 800s on the track and, um, you know, Sato uses the 30 by 800 on two minute jog for Ironman athletes. So there's all these different, um, workouts is, that you can use. That's like a 20 mile run. It's a 20 mile run. Yeah. Yeah. It's a long sucker. That's for sure. And so, yeah. And then on the bike, you know, it depends on, depends on what the athletes training for one that I really like for um, half Ironman athletes is, is if you can do a three hour ride with six by 10 minutes at threshold on five minutes recovery, you know, and, and basically you're doing 60 minutes worth of threshold work broken. That's a really good good indicator of a uh, athlete's fitness as well. And that's, again, we're talking about like pretty high level athletes at this point. So if we're, you know, we would break that down to uh, maybe a lot simpler or a lot, you know, different types of sets for more beginners or intermediate type athletes, but. Mm -hmm. No, that, that, uh, the threshold bike one, I, I guess in this, in terms of field testing, I know the peak of the peak of what I've ever given is, is 12 by six minutes, which is 72, but obviously six minutes is shorter than 10 minutes. So that, that stress changes a bit, but that's kind of like the peak of the peak. If you're trying to win an Ironman and I've only given that workout to three or four people ever. Yeah, um, yeah. And they yeah. all have been on podiums at Ironmans. So yeah, these are, they're really, really hard sets for sure. Um, they're the ones when I write them, I like cry a little. You know, cause like I I've done them personally. I'm like, I can't believe I'm telling someone else to do this, but like, yeah. it's gotta be done. It's at the right time. They've got enough time to recover and, and dry their tears before they get to go race. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I feel like it gets my heart rate up when I write those workouts. I'm like, kind of get a little sweaty and nervous for them. Like, okay, here we go. 
But uh, oh, yeah, I have to do more laundry when someone's getting crunch time on a big iron. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, you're just like, whoof, that looks hard. <laughs> <laughs> Glad it's you and not me. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. But I definitely, I, I think that the the lab stuff, if you're doing that at the, you know, if you're working with um, a pretty advanced athlete doing it at the beginning of the season, mid-season, and um, probably once every six months is enough, unless it's like right before a key block, if you've got someone going into a bunch of World Cup races or, you know, some major Ironmans or something that you need to, to revisit the data, like their fitness has changed a lot. Um, but I think, and you guys can tell me what your experience has been is, you know, the lactate step test with the fuel profile is probably the most beneficial for Ironman athletes, you know, for an Ironman athlete getting their VO2 max, it's not going to be super relevant to long course racing. Someone can have a relatively low VO2 max, but what you're looking for is what's their work rate within their VO2 and how long can they burn fat for as fuel within that high percentage of work rate of their max. If you're training, obviously, a 800-meter runner or pursuit rider on the track or something, now their VO2 does matter um, because it gets a little closer to anaerobic. But, um, you know, it's definitely Ironman athletes and, and long course athletes, you know, a, a lactate step test. And most importantly, I always say with that fuel profile is going to be the, the most important thing that you're looking for. And, like, is that line shifting to where they're working at a higher and higher percentage of their max and burning fat for fuel for longer and longer? at that percentage and then they're going to be more and more successful at the long course so i very very much agree with you and having worked in a lab or whatever volunteered in a lab all through college and in grad school i'm just always reminded of derek clayton who set the world record in the marathon in the in the 60s uh late 60s and his vo2 max was 68 and if you've been i it, like to the lay person 68 is high but to an elite athlete 68 is garbage uh, for, for a guy, for a woman, you're up. I mean, like me personally, I've been at like 74 and, and as far as athletes go, I'm not very good. Um, you know, so like clearly your VO2 is not the, the main indicator. And, um, yeah, anyways, I just wanted to throw that out because that's always been fascinating to me. Like, like exactly all you said, like how you consume fuel and all that, that's, that's what matters. Yeah. And I, th I mean, obviously if you're working with track athletes, you know, uh, if you're working sure, yeah, with somebody yeah. who's an 800 meter runner or, you know, 3k pursuit on the track, now that's going to, um, play a more important role. And one thing that elite athletes all have in common is their, you know, their five minute is going to be probably a lot higher than the average person. So that's, that's going to be something that you can see. Okay. Someone who, wait, can you five, five minute, what? like their five minute power is going to be oh. a lot higher than say, you know, the average person they're able, they're able to do that just at a much, much higher and repetitively higher than like, say someone who you're like, okay, we're, we're going to need a lot more. Basically, if you've got a bit more of a thoroughbred, then you've got a workhorse that you're going to have to, how you're going to direct their training and what you're going to do with them. Um, so those are just little things that, that I've noticed for sure. What were you going to say there, Jesse? Um, so I guess I would say that just, just to, uh, be different that I, if I was going to have an athlete tested, I, I would want more than every six months, because if you're starting at the beginning of the season and then six months later, they better improve, right. Or else you're doing something really wrong. Um, so I would, I, I feel like if I'm going to actually use the data, like for that athlete, I would, I would really want it to be consistent, like definitely more than 
more than that, that many data points. If, but I do think I have had examples where just doing the test once is super beneficial, like mainly for just that fueling, just to show an athlete, like it, yeah, exactly. Like exactly like how much they're actually burning. And even if you know, that's going to change over the season, you say, yeah, this is just where you're at right now. Like these, these points will definitely move, but like to, you know, especially to get an Ironman athlete to wrap their head around just how much carbohydrate they're burning and like you, you need to eat a ton. And, and so like, yeah, to see you, that. you can, you can explain it away all day, but for some people, the hard numbers for them is, uh, is what matters. And, and to that point, whether you need to test someone or not, Marilyn, you were saying like you use it for some people, it's almost like who needs the test. Right. And it's like, it's a, it can be, if you know, someone's going to do a test better than they think they will, or at least about as good as they think they will. Sometimes that like builds confidence in ways that nothing else will. So often I'm doing a test purely for confidence more so than the result. Right. And it's more like we're, we're waging positive psychological warfare on our athletes to, to make sure that they know they can do something. Yeah. And so like, and then that might change how you design the test. Um, have that you guys, and, oh, sorry. That and also just like on, on the other spectrum of that is, as the athletes that fear that kind of stuff, sometimes you throw them in just as, instead of saying race simulation, sometimes people don't actually get that nervous at home for race simulation, but you put throw test in front of it. And man, I've seen some people just go sideways mentally because you throw the word test in it. And it's actually the same thing that happens to them in a race. So the more repetition of these kind of pressure situations where they're going to feel uncomfortable and exposed and they learn to mentally and emotionally handle that and come up with like a strategy of how they're going to handle that, then their racing improves, not necessarily because as a coach, we're gathering that much more data from the testing, but just because they're getting practice at dealing with pressure. Yeah. I, I worked with some, the last person I talked to an hour and a half ago, it's yeah. doing a test on Saturday, but it's, it's like a specific protocol. Um, and it's more to go through the race simulation and practice pacing, right? He, he's not going for a PR or time trial. He's like going through the, the emotions and the practice of, of the event. And it like, that's pretty cool and interesting. And every person kind of needs a different framework for, for whatever the test may be. Um, hey, I was going to say, have you guys seen much of what the, the Norwegians post the Norwegian triathlon team, I should say. Um, in terms of their testing, because they have access to a ton of lactate testing and a ton of VO2 testing, and they have a sports scientist on staff, and there's only, you know, like six or eight of them. Um, so they can do, Jesse, what you were saying, they can do very frequent testing. Like, we're look, it almost seems like sometimes they're doing it every three weeks, which is really interesting. Like, if everyone had access to that, all of a sudden, I would be a lot more pro-testing. But I mean, I think we both know there's people who are trying to win Ironman World Championships who don't have access to that. It's just not a, it's not a common thing. So. Yeah. And I think you can, you know, if you do have constant access to it, you, you know, you can design people's training specifically to where they're at. Like say you're, you know, have got someone who in order to race short course, well, maybe there's someone who just, they literally don't, they can't produce lactate. Like they go, you're going to say, we're going to do four all out fifties diving from the blocks. You're going to do them on three minutes. So tons of rest. I want to like you to really, really blast it. 
and you take their lactate, you know, you see that the swimmers at, you know, at sort of the big universities and stuff like that, they'll take the lactate. A pure sprinter is going to produce enough lactate in a sprint that they've got to cool down for 2K just to get rid of it. And the amount that they produce, it would kill an average person. You know, they're just pure ball of muscle and, and white fiber, and they can really produce that. So if you're trying to make those kinds of changes, someone who keeps maybe missing the start in an ITU race or something like that, or if they're crit racing or, you know, mountain bike racing, they're having trouble getting off the line and you just... If you say, okay, well, this is something we need to train, then you test at the beginning, okay, when we go all out on lots of rest, this, these are the numbers that we're hitting, and then you do a block of anaerobic training, and then you test again, like, are we, is that marker improving? But again, it, you would need access to like a lactate test and, and have that person there that you can work with them in person and do that, do that regularly. And then, you know, so that's the difference, like if we're working on an anaerobic end versus you know, if you're improving lactate threshold and, and fuel profile, same thing, like, is this, is this actually changing? So do we go and do a block of, you know, Jesse, you and I had a conversation about an athlete once you were trying to help them problem solve. And you said, man, this, this athlete can like hammer some Watts that were like world championship status over very short intervals. However, out on like long rides or in their longer races, they were just fizzling and falling apart. Well, those you could see just without even a test, oh, this person's base and ability to burn fat for a long period of time is just completely underdeveloped. And so you would say, okay, we'll test it at the beginning, see what marker in terms of their lactate curve, what heart rate, what watts, do they start to burn sugar? That's like, it's sort of like, it's backwards for a long course athlete and then do a block of huge block of aerobic training and then retest it at the end of the eight weeks or 12 weeks and, and see if it's shifted at all or not. Um, and sometimes you can shift it and sometimes you can't. Some people will talk about like that you can shift it through different fueling and diet. I'm not totally sold on that. I don't think that that works. I think it's more of a training physiology adaptation than it is necessarily a nutrition adaptation. But um, I think that's only, I, well, you're, you're, I think that's more or less been proven that you're correct. Yeah. Yeah. But what you, what you can do is if your fueling was shit, and you were doing a long test, and then you had in, in much advanced fueling, you, you would perform better in the test because of your fueling, but your actual fitness might not change. So that's more like day of execution, but we're talking about improving fitness. And then day of execution is another podcast. Have you guys ever had much success with like the two by eight minutes? The swim one? Or are you talking about the bike? The one? bike. Bike. Bike one for power. Mm -hmm. I've actually never, I mean, I'm aware of it, but I've never done it. Never used that one. So I, I've used a few different things in, in the kicker studio. Um, and, um, <laughs> and, uh, I, I recently switched over to like a, a ramp test where you kind of take like what 75% of their highest one minute power. Um, how do you, what's the duration of every ramp and how much percentage do you increase? Like, where do you start and blo um, block it? You start pretty low. I want to say you started like 50%. I'd have to like, these, these are kind of rough numbers. I haven't looked at this 50 in a while. 50% of threshold their, estimate? Of their current FTP. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And then you go up It's I think it's 6% every minute after that. Um, and then if that you take 75% of their highest step, um, and it's, it's not every exactly minute? every minute. Yeah. You go up 6%. Oh, okay. So um, within 10 minutes, you'd be at 110%, right? Did I do the math right? Um, oh wait, no, not 
Something. It takes a little longer than that. Um, okay. But, but yes. Um, but point point of that was being that I, I found fairly similar results among like kind of different different types of tests, like twenty minute test, that test, two by eight, thirty minute test. Um, but I do think that some tests favor different athletes differently. Like I do, I, I do better at a twenty minute test than I do a ramp test. Um, because like my, my anaerobic contribution isn't, isn't great. It's not really helping me out much. So me getting up to like 130 or 140% of my FTP is really hard. Um, but I can hang out at like whatever, 105% a lot more easily. So I found that the, the tests definitely favor different athletes differently. Um, and that's been, it's been interesting because it, you know, it, it kind of changes the data based on the athlete. Yeah, I think you could pretty easily, how you could use that is you could figure out pretty quickly if an athlete's anaerobic engine is well-developed, if they, if they do, or if they are someone who is like you, without us even testing you, we would know that you're someone who's highly trained at being able to work at a high percentage of your max, right? So like, say your, your VO2 and your actual max, if we threw you in the lab, wouldn't necessarily be super high, but the work rate at what you're able to work at would be, you know, obviously at an elite level, you're racing an elite male level. So even to be able to do that, you're, you're racing an elite level. So you might be able to, through running athletes, through the different types of tests, you might, if you're struggling to figure out where your athletes deficiencies are or what, where they, what, you know, their strengths and weaknesses are, you could, you could use that system say, well, let's try this test through this training block. And if they excel at that, or, you know, um, you know, you know what I'm trying to say there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. I definitely gleaned information about athletes, especially like athletes that I don't coach that just come into the kicker class. So I can kind of tell them more about what they should do when they're not there, uh, based on how they perform in the different, different test situations. And, um, you know, it's like, I guess maybe like poor man's lab testing, um, just kind of, but they can, they can kind of learn a lot from that, um, from kind of talking through like why they did better on, on say a different testing protocol, um, which, which I don't know, I, I found kind of neat. Yeah. Just, and sorry, go ahead. No, you're good. No, I was going to say, I think, I, I think it is important to remind athletes too, you know, you, you can do the, the, the most common test is the 20 minute FTP test. And then you take 0.95%, which is a little bit inaccurate as well. It's more like point nine to something that ends up being more accurate, but, um, you, I certainly have athletes that if you just did those numbers and then you actually said to them, okay, now four weeks from now, we're going to set up perfectly tapered rested, perfect scenario and send you out for an actual 60 minute FTP test. The numbers would be significantly different, you know? Um, and then there are athletes where they would be fairly close to one another and again, that relationship is going to tell you whether someone is possibly more anaerobic and they can really just hammer for 20 minutes and, or can they really sustain that for a 60 minute, you know, a 60 minute time trial. Um, so I think you, there is value in figuring, using the different types of tests to figure that stuff out. If you don't have access to a lab, you know, if you're not like, okay, we're going to go in and actually do a lactate step test with a fuel profile. But I would also say if it's like an athlete you coach, you've probably seen them like their workouts and you, 
I'd say in general, you can kind of glean a lot of this from looking at their workouts over time. Right. And that's, yeah. I, I also don't do, I don't do a ton of testing with my athletes um, as far as like set tests over, over time. I just kind of like have, have certain workouts that are indicators and I will repeat workouts every once in a while to kind of see how they do. So I guess that could be kind of like a test set. Um, but it's the same kind of thing where it's like, it's not, they're not going rested into it. I'm just saying, okay, we're going to do like 10 by 100s best effort. And, and I'm going to look at like how they did compared to when they did 10 by one best effort a month ago. Yeah, absolutely. I was, yeah, I was going to say kind of switching up from cycling. You just touched on Jesse with 10 by hundred swimming. I I've used the thousand time trial, especially for someone who's like making a big commitment to swimming and, and trying to improve their swimming because swimming has like the biggest variable is technique. And so it's not a fitness thing and you can be weaker and swim significantly faster with technique. So I like to use like a somewhat frequent thousand time trial, like let's say once a month or every five weeks, almost just to like troubleshoot if the form that they're working on and their little cues, you know, like not necessarily what, like what drill they may or may not be doing, but like, what is the cue that they're giving themselves when they're doing whatever workout it might be, um, whether it's 10 by a hundred or whatever various versions of 25s, fifties, three hundreds, thousands. And to see if like those cues are kind of sticking and, and then what does that do to their thousand and, and do they swim really fast through the five, six, 700 and then die, or do they swim faster overall? Or are they just slowly chunking off time or are they going slower? Um, that stuff is really interesting to me and that, and like the swimming in particular to take a look at it and then say, what can that do to their cueing for their technique? Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think that's a good way to kind of check, check technique, um, or like check technique work that you're talking about. Um, do you guys ever do the, the 400, 200 critical speed swim test? No, you, right. uh, USA triathlon has, they will, they, they've also done the hundred, 800. Do you know that one? I know a hundred, 800 or is it 200? I can't, it's essentially, it's like, a, I mean, I think it's hundred, 800 or hundred, 500, but you do an all out hundred, you get like a minute of rest and then you do the 800 essentially being like in an ITU race, you go super, super hard. And then you swim again. That one I mean, it makes a little bit of sense, but I'm like speaking from somebody who just coached someone who swam relatively towards the front all the last few IT races, she doesn't have great get out speed, but she got really good at just holding a high pace. And it's like, well, if, if she's swimming one fourteen hundred meters for a long period of time, guess what? It, like if you swim a one ten that first hundred, you're four seconds in front of her. But if she got a draft, okay, well now you're only two seconds in front of her. And then if you both hold the same pace, the rest of the way, you end up out of the water at the same time. So like that one, I understand why they want to do it. But at the end of the day, I'm like, well, why wouldn't you just do a 750 time trial? That seems to be more important to me, but I don't know. That's more theory. And I do think that there's like, we have to, I, I like to also just use real world, like see see races you know what I mean because there's nothing there's no test like getting out there and actually doing a race and now you're doing it under all the real conditions and so if you're going to rest before and after and sacrifice losing some fitness to go out and 
do some kind of test. So like, obviously we're just extracting data all the time to get these numbers for athletes and figuring out where their holes are and what they need to work on the next training block. But if we just say, if we're going to actually take the time to taper and rest afterwards and put that kind of level of exertion in, then I, I I'm also a believer, like, let's just go do a race and see, yeah, see, see what, see what we do in a race because then you're testing really everything, you know, it's a running off the bike, it's biking after you swim, it's the stress of the morning, it's, you know, all of these pieces that if you just do a straight up, you know, 10, 400s on the track, or, you know, those kinds of things, it's, it's going to be different than if you're running off the bike a little tired, or then put a swim in front of it, you know, those kinds of things. I think, yeah. Um, one thing I guess I, I do a lot in my coaching is just like answer that question. Oh, are we going to do a test? And there's often a race right there. And it's like, if you're going to go that hard, why don't you beat some people while you do it? <laughs> and, and you'll, there's, you know, jumping in the fire is going to teach you a lot more. And all these individual tests are, are great and they all have a purpose, but like racing is racing. So you might as well learn that you might as well test yourself in what really matters. Right. So. I do think it's, there's some value to um, bricks that that have very specific sets in them for Ironman athletes because Ironman athletes might not get to race that often. So something like a, you know, 50 mile TT into a three by 10 K descending run, that's going to provide you, you know, it's a pretty tough workout, but it's also going to provide you some information. Again, that's for a more elite type athlete. And, um, you know, it's going to be that's the second workout I've never heard of. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's like 56 yeah. mile time trial with 13, like half, half Ironman at Ironman pace. Sure. I've heard of that one. Done it. I've even 50, it 50, not 56. Oh, I know. But you said three by 10 K like that extra running. 10K. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. extra 10 K is what blew my mind. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. 30 K run. So, yeah. and an elite male should be able to do a 30 K run in under two hours. Right. So, um, that yeah, should be so six, six thirty pace. That's what it is. You can, yeah, 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 yeah. And it is, I mean, if you can, if you can TT 50, 50 miles and then do three by 10 K and, and under two hours, you're going to get some information there on whether someone's ready to go and race. Now that again, that's, that's, these are workouts that were their test workouts where we're extracting data as coaches to see if an athlete's get ready to go to perform at a certain level in an event and knowing the numbers. And then of course the tactics are going to come into play and all that stuff. So I think, um, you know, doing the, making sure that also athletes know the difference between testing each individual sport fresh and then testing them fatigued in relationship to our sport, which is triathlon, you know, after a swim, after a bike, after a run. That was uh, literally yesterday, Jesse and I were talking about how he's going to run 250, sub 250, which that, that's, that's I gave perfect. you some new workouts to do. There okay. we go. There we go. You, you, you 100% <laughs> gave him some new workouts. We need okay. to have in-person training. <laughs> Marilyn Elliott, Jesse squad. <laughs> I, I will, I will count 75 laps on the track for you. Oh, God. I, <laughs> I, <laughs> um, yeah, I was going to just to, like you talked earlier about the hour power test. I would so much rather just go race an Olympic than, um, then go out Aho and ride an hour all out. Um, so yeah, I totally agree with the, the racing instead of, uh, doing really, really rigorous testing like that. Um, 
So yeah, totally agree with that point. Um, and yeah, I do really like the, uh, the two hour runs off of a hard, hard ride. It's definitely How many, good. You, I don't, I've never given you one. I, I know I haven't coached you in years, but did, have you done those since then? Um, I've only like a couple of times, like maybe and when did that line up to your major injuries? Just curious. <laughs> um, it, it, it maybe didn't I'm, I'm making I, yeah, a joke, I know. I, but I'm I don't think like... it did. Um, I, I think the, the one, the, the biggest problem I, I see with, with those types of workouts is like making sure people are smart about being able to to fuel them. And like, I, I, I coach a fair amount of Arizona athletes. So that's, that's one thing where it gets challenging is running two hours off the bike here. Oh, cause it's so hot and you need that water. Yeah. 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 And like, you know, I mean, uh, some people are okay with just doing loops around their neighborhood and stopping back their house or, um, but, but getting a, getting a cyclist to ride with you while you run for something like that is like, is almost necessary unless you're going to wear a pack or, uh, or run by, by the same spot multiple, multiple times. Well, also, guys, oh, sorry. I was going to say, what do you guys do for, obviously with our sport, there's sort of a unique um, element with the power to weight as well. You know, so, you know, there's, there's different, you know, the underwater test for body fat percentage, bod pods, um, calipers are pretty outdated, those kinds of things. But the difference between, obviously you need to be light to run fast. You need to be strong to bike fast as well as an element of power to weight, but you, there is a fine line between those two things testing exactly right for those two sports and then being too lean to swim well. So where do you guys um, fall with that with your athletes and, and what like sort of numbers and tests would you rely on? If you've got athletes asking about that, of course you say, oh, we're just gonna go do a bod pod and monitor your body fat and find out how many you can do a gas test where you find out how many calories and what you need just to survive. And then you work out what you're burning and, you know, the fuel profile test throughout the day. And you can dial in with a nutritionist, the exact nutrition and, and dial all that in, but what it's going to be for running versus being a triathlete. Cause I've, I've, I've even seen athletes who've gone to the Olympics in their lifetime best shape, got just a tiny bit too lean and they were out the back on the swim and um that was their whole race so i don't know elliot you've got some experience there with um the itu athletes and jesse maybe you've got some thoughts there i'm well i mean my original background's wrestling so like as far as weight goes um i know all about being too skinny um and that's ultimately what sent me to endurance sports from one inning disorder sport to another um but, uh, <laughs> but, but I think like personally, like obviously you need to be lean. Um, but like, so like coaching somebody who's racing three, four or five times a week cyclocross in the middle of a Belgium winter, you know, where there's 6,000 or 60,000 fans like cheering them on. And you're just around all these people screaming and dumping beer on you. Well, they don't dump beer on you too much and not in Belgium, but, um, it's on the course the point is like, that's an environment where you can get sick, but if you're not lean enough, you also lose. Right. Um, Ironman, if you get too lean, my, I I've always felt like the bigger issue is just not having enough calories on board to maintain the, the power output. 
it was never not that you, it wasn't that you couldn't swim. It would be that you couldn't swim in training and you'd pick up that somebody's too lean, that they can't execute the workout. So for me, it's all about like day-to-day fueling and then workout to workout fueling. And everyone always performs better one pound heavy than one pound light. So it's like, why, like you're going to, if you're going to train super, super hard and you're going to try to win a world championships, or you're going to try and be on, be in the top five of a WTS race or whatever, like you're, you're going to be training so much, you're going to get lean. Right. So the question is how well are you, how well are you fueling for each workout? And so then to me, that's like, the test is like, are you, are you accidentally losing weight if you are? And, and it, that's going to show up in your workouts. So to me, those, the fuel testing works right back around to those test sets. Like if you can't just perform certain workouts on a consistent basis, it's often because you're not fueling well enough. And if you're not fueling well enough, then you're not going to get stronger. If you're not going to get stronger, you're not going to race fast enough to win. So So you would not send your athletes for, um, like any kind of body Mm -hmm. fat percentage test. But, but like part of that is like, honestly, I mean, like I've been naked, passed out in the locker room, convulsing from lack of food. Like that's how my wrestling career ended. Right. It's not fun. Um, I've seen, do you have have like a video of that or anything we could post with this? That would be super illegal because I was like 17. Um, Sorry, sorry. (laughs) But that was right around the time people were filming people in uh, Big Ten locker rooms. Nice, all right. um, And right around the time people were dying in Big Ten locker rooms. This is all wrestling, late 90s, early 2000s. Um, But uh, uh, go Big Ten. Go OPRF wrestling. One of the best schools in the country. High school. That's where I went. It's an important conversation though, because I think, you know, some coaches, if they're working with elite athletes, that might be something that they, they require not necessarily testing, but regular check-ins on, or they might say like, we're going to do a a bod pod test twice a year, or they might say like, even back in the old school, it's not so much anymore, but you will still see it in some squads where they're like, you know, you're going to weigh in once a week, that kind of thing. And I, I highly discourage that stuff. I don't, I am right on board with you. I agree a hundred percent with everything you're saying. I just think it's a, if we're talking about testing, you know, we can talk about all the physiology types of testing, but then there's, you know, the other parts of testing that we get asked about all the time as coaches, which will be like, what about a body fat percentage test? What about a, um, you know, uh, wind tunnel test? How important are these types of tests and when do they become applicable to certain athletes? And, and so making sure that we cover, you know, a sweat test. So are we looking at sweat tests with sodium, you know, levels and, and how much sodium is in an athlete's um, sweat and, and how much needs to be replaced? So I think when, when we talk about testing and, we're letting, you know, if we're educating people who are listening to this podcast, that we're not just sticking to, okay, there's field tests, there's extraction of data within workouts, there's in lab tests, as far as lactate step, VO2, fuel profiling, but then there is tests as like body fat percentage tests, how those would be handled differently. Uh, Wind tunnel tests, would those be on a velodrome or would you be in a green room or an actual wind tunnel? Um, Now they actually have, there, there is new stuff out there where they can put you in the real world with sensors on you and do wind and do like aerodynamic type testing on a field test yep. day after day. Um, you know, so, and then the sweat tests, those kinds of things. So I think these are all important areas that I think you need to talk about and not get too, people get so 
locked in on that 20 minute FTP test. Like that's the only thing that dictates all of performance in endurance sports. So um, Elliot, you uh, go ahead and add to some of that stuff. And, and Jesse, of course, too. I just can well, see you have something to say. <laughs> do you just always, I always have stuff to say. Oh. Come on now. Um, but yeah, I guess just to go back to the, the body fat percentage, I, I feel like there's, I kind of have maybe like a, a couple groups of athletes that it kind of pertains differently to some athletes we're working on, maybe getting them a little bit more healthy as like a human being, then that can be a good, a good measure for them to track and say, Hey, look, I'm making progress in, in this kind of area. Um, but I think that almost goes back to like, like lifestyle and not like, um, as a triathlon coach. And then when you get to the other end of that, what you guys were talking about is like that elite level, um, where I haven't, I haven't seen an athlete who's like perform better at their lightest, kind of like what you guys both said is that everyone seems to perform better when, when they have enough like muscle mass on them to, to do well. And there seems to be maybe a sweet spot with athletes, but, um, you know, I feel like we've all seen athletes that have have tipped over that point and gotten too light and, um, and then they no longer are racing well. Um, so I, I think that it is, yeah, I always would, would advocate that my athletes get stronger over, um, over light. Um, and, but again, like I am coaching mainly triathletes that are going fairly longer distances. Um, so yeah. Um, and then I guess Ellie, did you want to say something there? Well, I was just going to say like Marilyn was talking about all the various kinds of testing and who it might be for. And so like, obviously I'm not the biggest fan of body fat testing, but a lot of it is like a number is very easy to miss. Any number is very easy to misinterpret, whether it's your, whether it's your VO2 or um, how many liters you're breathing in, just like the max number or or what your body fat percentage is. So like if, if you're going to do a a number, a lot of times the person you're coaching has a general idea of what, like what's good or like what someone else who has been successful is at. So the last thing you need to hear is like the Olympic gold medalist body fat was X and yours is 2% higher. That doesn't mean that you're too heavy. It's just a number. So you have to, before you give any test, you have to be aware of like, if the result is a little bit one way or the other, how do you think your athlete will handle that result? Exactly. And the other part of that is like you take in, that's why I'm, I, I brought it up is that all of these sort of intertwine with one another. And it's not like what you can just do on one test. So take aerodynamics, for example, you can take the most aerodynamic rider and they can't run off that position, you know? So yeah, yeah now, now they're, maybe their Watts are lower because they're more aerodynamic and they're traveling at a faster speed and all of their field tests and wind tunnel tests, they are the most aero athlete out there, but they get off and they have to walk half the marathon. Well, there's nothing as slow as walking in an Ironman. I mean, I mean, I mean, that's what I always say to people. I'm like, you, you better be, you know, one inch propped up more in the wind and be able to run fast than that much more arrow and walking, you know, five, five, six hour marathon. I mean, that's just, it, but people get wrapped up in that stuff. They get a little caught up in it and you can do all of these tests. And if you don't understand the sort of why you're doing them and what value they place and, and then how to, how to apply them to your training and your overall, you know, training and, and racing and improvement, like you're saying, Elliot, where like, 
it doesn't do you any good to just compare to somebody else. Like, how does this apply to you and your improvement with yeah. each one of all this information that you're gathering? Yeah, I think that kind of comes around to that, that the race is the best test, right? That, um, you know, that's, that's what matters, not your drag numbers or your weight going into a race. Um, and yeah, I think the other thing that's kind of you guys were talking about is that it's important to, uh, to use your data for you, right? Like, you know, maybe you have someone that's tracking their body fat percentage, or maybe they're tracking their FTP, but like, you, you have to kind of compare that to you because, you know, if you're doing, using a scale for body fat percentage, it's going to be not at all accurate, but if it's, if it's consistent, then that's fine. You can, you can use that same scale and, and, you know, look at that over time. And that's like, maybe the number doesn't mean anything to anybody else, but it means something to you. I mean, I had a power meter for a long time that gave me like 40 Watts, um, which made my, my power numbers look great, but it doesn't really matter. Right. No, like you don't win an Ironman on what your power numbers look like, but I could still use that power meter because it always gave me 40 Watts. So I could use that over time and say, okay, well, like, whatever, 340 Watts isn't real, but it's, it's real for this power meter for me today. And so that's like what, you know, you can use those for what they are for you and not to compare to what anyone else is doing or, or has. I just want to give a personal story about being fatter is better. Uh, <laughs> back when I was still racing, there was like uh, Marilyn, you might've heard of this race. Cause it was in like Washington. It was called like grand coulee something or other it had a it had a top three prize purse and a lot of the canadians would the bc alberta canadians would come down anyways Lindsay corbin and i went out to do it and she was i i had kind of like took a little bit of a break and gained a pound or two as you may do towards the end of the season um and and we went and we did the race and i mean i was still training but whatever i was a couple pounds heavier and and I did pretty well. I, I think I got like fourth place or whatever. So Lindsay was coming, finished the race. I think she got second in the race and she goes, man, Elliot, I was watching the race and like the top 10 guys were all just hauling, right? She saw us on the out and back as she was coming back around. And you know, like it was like super lean guy, super lean guy, super lean guy. And then there was this chubby guy who was just in there. And then all these guys after him and I'm like doing the math. And I'm like, one, two, three wait, I'm the chubby guy. And I was like, that was, that was a good, that was like, that's as good as I go. You know, it was like, um, I was like, I had the second fastest run split. What do you want me to do? Um, but the point was that like, yeah, I, like at the time, I think I, I weighed like 138, I'm five, seven for reference. I weighed like 138, 139, but that summer I was probably more like 135, 136 training my face off. Um, probably not eating as much as I could have. And those couple of pounds really like helped. And, and I noticed that like even later on racing various different kinds of races, it was like, okay, there is a point where I'm just going to be too lean and everyone kind of has to find that. And that's, you know, it turns out I was at like five and a half percent body fat, but if I was at four and a half, that was too skinny. So. I think probably the most aggressive testing that I've ever been through, I've actually done a lot of testing ever since like 1999 with, you know, the, um, Olympic Oval in Calgary, and then worked with Alan Cousins, you know, two, three times a year, my entire professional career. And I like um, his Twitter page, by the way. Yes, yeah, so very, very, right now. Yeah. obviously very smart guy. So we have data on me through my whole, whole professional career. But the most aggressive testing I ever went through actually was at the Australian Institute of Sport. They did a time trial, time trial project, a recruitment project, and I made the cut. And they had us come down 
to the AIS for four days of extensive testing. And, you know, it was, it was just everything you could think of right down to sitting us, you know, to like 10 of us sitting in a room and us showing us, showing us videos of every single time trial from the last like 10 years of world championships and all the Olympics and showing us exactly like the position, the, you know, the execution of the race, the, the, you know, the Watts per kilo, what we needed to do, what our drag needed to be. I mean, we went through four days of the most extensive testing I've ever been through. And you come out of that and you're like, <laughs> talk about comparing yourself. They gave you like, you weren't even a person, you were a number, you're number four. And it was like, these are the numbers. These are the tests results we are looking for. And if you don't pass this mark, you're, you're eliminated. It was like the first round of uh, like the, what are they called? Those elimination reality oh. shows. It's like, if you don't meet these numbers, you're out and you don't have a name and we will find someone who makes these numbers. And the one thing I, that stuck in my brain, burned in my brain from that is they sat us down they said, you need to be able to do five to 5.2 Watts per kilo for 45 minutes. That was like one of the big ones as far as a, a TT. They were looking for someone, basically they were looking for someone to beat Kristen Armstrong in the time trial and win a gold medal. And so yeah. they were like, basically what that worked out to me is I needed to be able to do, you know, right around between 125 and 127 pounds. I needed to do 300 Watts for 45 minutes. And I was like, whew, you know, those kinds of things can be soul crushing. <laughs> um, but, you know, you start to get an idea of, of, you know, you really, that was like the most intense testing I've ever been through. And, and of course, that was an organization looking for a gold medal out of somebody. So that's not going to be, you know, the normal, the normal type. But that's, but that I thought I'd share like, that story because it's interesting, you know. <laughs> that has value. Like, that's why those, like the USAT test, I was kind of giving them a hard time. But at the same time, they only, if you don't, those organizations almost always get their funding from top three in a race that happens every four years and that's it. So like the, if you can't win the race, you know, or if, if it's not clear that you have the potential to win the Olympics for whether it's the 4k pursuit on the track or the trap on the Olympics, like then why are they going to invest however many hundreds of thousands of dollars between travel, giving you a stipend, your doctor, your bike, et cetera. So like they're looking at millions of dollars of funding, whether it's Australia, the U S whatever country. And so then that makes sense to have those levels. Right. Um, but for your, I mean, just for anybody trying to even win an, an Ironman world championships, that race at least happens once a year, you know? So like even that alone gives you more leeway. It's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Just fun to, to, to make people aware of what's available out there. I mean, obviously the, the, probably the best strategy for most people is to just do your training plan and collect data over time. I would say that's probably the most productive way to go about things. And then any of these additional things, if you're going to most value for your dollar would be a fuel, fuel profile test. I, yeah, I totally I'm agree. agree with that. Yeah. And a height think... measurement test when you've got lifts in. Um, <laughs> and jumping into some races, right? Like, I mean, yeah. I yeah. think do some races, get them, get some benchmark data from that. And, uh, and yeah, use your workouts as indicators to what you can do on race day. Yeah. That's a good point. Awesome. Well, it turns out there's a lot of tests out there, huh? <laughs> um, and then we, there's Jesse's math test. 
that he gives <laughs> at the end of it all. At the end of an Ironman, you have to do Jesse's math test. Ah. That, is, that is a test I do while racing to see if I can do math to know how, how effed I am. Uh, <laughs> hey, if, if you can't do math, your brain is about to die and yeah, you need more sugar. So. That's uh yeah, that's it's the, do I need a gel test, right? Like, can I, can I math right now or not? Um, anyways, anything else you guys want to add before we, uh, we wrap this one up? We, I, well, I just wanted to say we didn't cover every kind of test for sure, but oh, yeah, we, we barely touched on that there yeah. exists sweat tests, but yeah, there's, there's a ton of other kinds of tests out there too, but those and are we, yeah, we common. didn't talk too much about the aerobic stuff, but I think Maryland's point stands that like, if you're going to do something like the amount of fuel you're burning through, or especially for a long course, half Ironman, Ironman things, those things are really important. And the other thing is you can, you can field test that to a pretty good ballpark, which is also what she said. So I, I, we didn't plan for this ahead of time for whoever's listening. We didn't tell each other anything. And so I was, uh, I was pleasantly surprised to hear we were like actually pretty much on the same page and, and some things that we agreed on. I think the general consensus is, is against us. So, right. yeah. But guess what? We're better coaches. So boom. <laughs> right. <laughs> boom. Drop the mic. All right. I guess we're done. <laughs> well, thank you guys uh, for, for hanging out with me today. It was fun. Thanks, Jesse. Thank you. See you, Marilyn. Cheers.